about to listen to View from the Pew with Herman Allen. The Chinese have a long tradition of naming their years from species of animal. For example, this year, 2020, is the year of the rat. So if you happen to be born in the year of the rat, you are meant to be quick-witted and ambitious. However, using Chinese tradition of naming the year after an animal, what animal would you think symbolizes this year? I would say for me, it would have to be the bat. Why would I pick on those flying mammals? Well, because they are species of rodent, like the rat. But more importantly, most scientists believe the COVID-19 virus came from a coronavirus that originated in bats and spilled over into humans. Stretching this construct a little further, if you weren't restricted to animals, how would you characterize this year? Then hands down, this year is the year of COVID-19. Why? Because that coronavirus disease took hold in 2020 in ways unforeseen and unimaginable. What started small in Wuhan province of China, within a few short months has spread throughout the globe. Not one single country on the planet managed to escape the reach of this invisible microbe, reaping havoc, devastation, and death. A Time Magazine article cites a Cambridge University study putting the cost of the pandemic at $82 trillion to the global economy over the next five years. When we look back to this year, we will be saying, do you remember 2020, the year when everything ground to a halt? 2020, we entered with such optimism and hope. 2020, in visionary terms, represents perfect vision. Many use that symbolism to chart their plans for this year and beyond. However, all of those plans lay scattered around the cotton room floor, and unfortunately, it's back to the drawing board. I'm not sure there is a parallel in scripture that mirrors a global pandemic. However, the Bible is bustling with stories that relays an uncertainty. We have a record of one of those times penned by the prophet Isaiah, who used one particular tragic event to characterize the year in question. In Isaiah 6, he writes, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send 
and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That was a mystical vision that Isaiah laid out, which he tried to contextualize by saying it happened the year that King Uzziah died. For Israel, it was a period of great grief and tragedy because Uzziah's reign had mostly been very successful and distinguished. He started at age 16 and reigned for 52 years. In Kings and Chronicles, it laid out that he was a successful king, that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and that he prospered the nation. However, towards the end, he disobeyed the Lord by offering incense in the temple and was struck with leprosy and remained a leper until his death. Uzziah's death marked both tragedy and also a turning point. In his writing, Isaiah did not focus on King Uzziah's death or even its consequences, but just used his death as the marker that framed the year. It was there to provide the backdrop, just like those that hang behind the theatre stage that forms part of the scenery. They do not tell the whole story, far from it, but they do furnish the setting and give the context to the scene. It is that year that King Isaiah has his vision, a vision of the Lord sitting on the throne. Isaiah creates this juxtaposition between the vision and the death of the king. A kind of, the king is dead, long live the king. In one dimension, the monarch has passed. In another dimension, the monarch reigns, seated on the throne, high and lifted up. One dimension is grief-stricken, the other is glorious. In one dimension, there is a change of monarchy that threatens, and in the other dimension, there is stability through unrivaled sovereignty. In the spiritual reality, there is a chorus of chanting to the Lord of hosts, whose glory fills the all earth. This is transformational stuff. The six-winged flying angels declare the earth, where there is such strife and enmity to be filled with the glory of the Lord. It is not a perspective that is normally on view. It takes a confluence of events and a peek into another realm to get the full picture. Just as Uzziah's death framed the year 740 BC in Judah, so does COVID-19 frame 2020 globally. Last year, we knew we needed money to go shopping. We didn't know we needed a mask. A year ago, we'd never heard of the term social distancing, much less shun people when they come too close. Yes, COVID-19 framed or frames the year, that's undeniable, but it does not provide the picture within the frame any more than Uzziah's death did. The year of COVID-19 has disrupted our world and created another uncomfortable reality. What we see will, to a large extent, be an individual thing. Like I heard someone say, we are all experiencing the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. It's not for me, therefore, to draw blanket conclusions for you. 
For example, I'm aware that a single parent with young children whose job may have been considered essential or not essential may have needed to juggle childcare, home, teaching and work or some variance of that. And their experience would have been completely different to the person for whom nothing changed except perhaps the inconvenience of the gym closure. Nevertheless, everyone would have been awakened to the fragility, fear and uncertainty that gripped the world. I aim to use the text in Isaiah as a reference point to suggest three aspects that should inform us going through our new reality. The first aspect of this COVID-19 year should be to cause a reimagining. Visions do that. Seeing the glory will do that. It was clearly overwhelming and transformative for Isaiah. The first thing was he saw. It's never initially about doing. It's our frantic doing that got us to lose sight of the bigger picture in the first place. We approached this year believing we had 2020 vision. The ability to see perfectly without the need for glasses, but found instead that we were partially sighted. We discovered that there is an invisible dimension at the micro level that our vision could not pick up that would wreak havoc on our world in the form of a novel coronavirus. Similarly, obscured from our view was what Isaiah describes, an unseen macro-level world where God rules, where his glory is extended to the whole earth. Yes, we may have believed in God, but how could we miss so much about his sovereign reign? Isaiah saw a picture of the glory of God unimaginable beforehand. Now we have the opportunity to reimagine glory through the visual aid of the unexplained and unexpected changes thrust upon us. What we had imagined as glory before was the frenzied energy of taking part in a bustling economy of fog-laden air, of mass transit systems, of consumerism unmasked. The glory took the form of a 24-hour entertainment culture that could satisfy our every whim. The pandemic put a stop to all of that and exposed the lie. It allowed us to ask ourselves, could the glory be so transient, so fragile? Could it be that those things were, on the contrary, not the glory, but glory imposters? What Isaiah saw was the glory of God spectacular and surreal. Although possible, this type of vision is more the exception rather than the rule. What lockdown forced was more subtle and gradual. Externally, it might have seemed like mass hysteria, which came with the hoarding of loo rolls and the disappearance of flour from supermarket shelves. But internally, it started as a crack in our worldview. According to Leonard Cohen, There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. If we are looking for the spectacular, we might miss God trying to grab our attention in the small and the simple 
cracks that appear through our utter brokenness and vulnerability as revealed by this pandemic. The little cracks of contradiction that indicate that real glory is somewhere else. Another prophet, Elijah, thought God was in the earthquake and the fire, but found him in the gentle whisper. No wonder the Lord calls us to stillness. Be still and know that I am God. Psalms 46 verse 10. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 28 and 29, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not cloaked like one of these. The richest ever king in ancient Israel's history, with power and wealth to spare, could not compare to the glory of the humble lily. We've been striving to get ahead and succeed, but now discovered that the glory is not to be found there. The glory of the lily with unfettered beauty was not obtained by sweat, tears and strife, but through simplicity and submission to the majesty and care of its creator. After we see true glory through our reimagination, then comes the second thing, the reckoning, because the fragility and uncertainty of our position is now fully exposed. Isaiah's understandable response to the manifestation of having his eyes open was to cry out. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When the full picture is revealed, then it becomes apparent how preoccupied we have been with the things that do not matter. Isaiah's cry of woe is me, I am lost, is understandable. As another translation puts it, I am undone, I am ruined. Everything he thought held him together was in pieces. He goes on to say, I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. After observing a God of splendor, glory and holiness, Isaiah's reference to unclean lips is a metaphor for his sinfulness and that of the community in comparison to a holy God. The fact is, we have to a large extent imbibed and been enmeshed in a culture to such an extent that we can hardly be distinguished from it. Yet my eyes have seen the king, Isaiah goes on to say. The Lord of hosts, getting a glimpse, changes everything. How can we settle for conformity any longer? How can we go back to our pre-COVID norms of ignoring the contradictions? Paradoxically, the vision we have seen from COVID isn't separate from all our current reality. It hasn't added anything but stripped things back so we can look up and see further and look down and see the sinking sand beneath our feet. We thought salvation was in gaining more success, but we discovered it is in losing and in laying down those things we had become reliant on to find ourselves and find God. 
Isaiah reminds us in his further writings, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That's Isaiah 30 verse 15. And what is repentance? It's seeing things in a different way and making the necessary adjustments. And that's the reckoning. Most of the world moved into lockdown, an interesting term given for staying at home during the pandemic. It was as if we were under some kind of house arrest, a punishment for a crime we did not commit. That contributed to high anxiety and led in some cases to abusive situations. But staying at home allowed the skies to clear over smog-laden cities. Suddenly we could see our way into the distance and breathe fresh air. It presented alternatives. What now is success? How strong are our relationships? Why do I go to church? Do I want to go back to business as usual? Where is God in all of this? Although I'm not saying God caused it, the disruption gives us an opportunity to be bystanders watching the merry-go-round instead of experiencing the dizzying effects of being its passengers. It gives us the opportunity to ask ourselves if we want to jump back on as soon as it picks up speed again, as inevitably it will. In the year of COVID-19, this is the reckoning we have got to have. We cannot just drift back into our pre-COVID lifestyles for nostalgic reasons without a fundamental shift in our understanding or reality. Dave Tomlinson wrote, life is packed with moments of godness, but mostly we walk by on the other side, anxious about a meeting, hurrying to catch a bus, falling asleep on the inside. That's what he said. But I'm saying, not anymore. The disruption created this year and in the year of COVID-19, it gives us a new opportunity. The new normal starts with the reimagining that leads to reckoning and should ultimately end in repurposing. So that's the third aspect of this COVID-19 year, the repurposing. This is what happened to Isaiah. In verse 6, it goes on to say, Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. That seraph touched my mouth and with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah's experience led him to be commissioned as a prophet. So what's our response to everything that has happened to us this year? 
What changes will it make? That's nothing to say of what changes will be thrust upon us. Like Isaiah, our perception of what is going on, our identity and what we believe we have been called to do are the three things that will determine our response. For example, Paul the Apostle was under a stay-at-home order and under his house arrest he wrote what is known as his four prison epistles. The pastoral letters of Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians and Colossians now canonized as biblical texts were all written from lockdown where some liberty campaigners have argued lockdown contravenes our freedom. Paul found in his confinement a repurposing of his energy to scribe instead of speak. For some of us lockdown was all too much, our stress levels too high to notice anything and any change that there was was for the worse. Maybe that's the group you're in. There's still hope. Isaiah felt completely overwhelmed and lost by what he saw. Isaiah felt undone, but received unmerited favor. He felt ruined, but received repurposing. God's purpose in opening our eyes is not to condemn us, but to show us the way out. As the restrictions lift, be attentive. The psalmist said in Psalms 108 verse 5, When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. We have often overlooked this aspect of salvation, which is about being released from prison into a spacious place coming out with our eyes open to God's presence and new possibilities. Let me tell you about 1997. I have framed it as the year the mothers died. It was the year Mother Teresa died. The Roman Catholic Church honored her as Saint Teresa of Calcutta because she devoted her life to the service of the destitute and dying on the streets of Calcutta. She saw God's image and glory in their brokenness. It was earlier that year that Princess Diana died, the mother of two young boys, William and Harry. A princess that had the common touch, the people's princess, her heart and her humanity shone through the things that she did and the causes she championed, like reaching out to AIDS victims and empathizing with their rejection, something maybe she felt and experienced herself. But most personally for me, it was the year my own mother drew her last breath, quite possibly the most impactful person in my life. She, of whom I wrote, now the curtain is lifted. Now the dawning of light shines through. Now the mist is clearing. What was hidden is clear to view. Now the pieces of the jigsaw fit. Now the truth is revealed. Now I know the woman called Cecilia, 
was born to be mother indeed. A fighter, a brave and courageous woman, an entrepreneur, driven out of necessity to provide for her family, but still with an eye to the finer things in life, a total inspiration. So for me, the mother's death, and particularly Cecilia's, provided the scaffolding for that year. But I remember that year for something else. It was the year that I project managed the move of my church from their old building to a new refurbished one. I was charged with guiding the surveyors and overseeing the negotiation with the Church of England who owned the building we were moving into. I was also charged with overseeing the design and build, which I took great delight in and was a welcome distraction from bereavement. Whenever I walk into that building, I still see the glory of that most precious year in the stained glass windows I commissioned, the fancy lighting scheme I insisted upon, which was meant to distract from the industrial ceiling which was painted blue to represent sky and unlimited possibilities. When I think of that year and the ones that followed, I think about a period of my life that was extremely significant, where the schedules were torn up and a shift happened that resulted in life changes for me that have had lasting impact to this day. 2020 is the year of COVID-19, but can be the year of so much more. However, it calls for a reimagining and reckoning and finally a repurposing where we allow the dimension of God and spirit to invade our consciousness and impact our worlds. You've been listening to View from the Pew with Herman Allen. For more information, email Herman at malfordlodge.co.uk That's Herman at malfordlodge.co.uk This is UGN Jams.